Welcome to the Coronation Merchant Bank podcast series, where we discuss economic, market, growth, and development trends, as well as relevant topical themes. My name is Chinwen Egwim, Chief Economist of Coronation Merchant Bank, and I will stir these conversations. Each episode promises to be interesting, and I am confident you will receive insightful nuggets from our discussions. Now let's get started. is titled Looking Ahead 2023 in Focus. We are now approaching the end of 2022 and all eyes are fixated on the 2023 outlook. There were a handful of economic trends that emerged in 2022, some of which include spikes in operational costs triggered by supply-side constraints, distorted consumption patterns as purchasing power has been relatively weak, elevated headline inflation figures, across advanced and emerging economies, which resulted in a bandwagon effect of monetary policy tightening among central banks, the tightening of global financial conditions, and of course, relatively soft GDP growth across select countries. Now in this episode, we cover forward-thinking views around trends that could shape the economic and investment landscape in 2023, with Sub-Saharan Africa in focus. My guest today is Ayomide Mejabi. He is currently the Frontier Market Strategist at JP Morgan. He is responsible for strategy recommendations and conducting macroeconomic analysis with focus on fixed income and currency strategy across various African countries. Thank you for joining us today, Ayomide. Thanks, Chinwe. Happy to be here. So 2023 is in less than four weeks. Uh, this conversation will tilt towards forward-thinking views around the economic and investment outlook for the coming year. Let us kick off with global economic shocks. In 2022, the global economy witnessed multiple shocks, such as new variants of the COVID-19 virus, um, supply chain disruptions and trade disruptions as well, triggered by the Russia-Ukraine crisis, elevated inflation and monetary policy tightening by central banks across advanced economies. Now, given that the impact of these shocks hasn't abated, what is your investment outlook for sub-Saharan Africa and then um, Nigeria as well? Thanks, Chinwe. I think this you've chosen a very good place to start our conversation. You are right that a lot of the shocks that we faced, that the global economy faced in 2022, haven't abated. Um, some of those shocks include the after the fallout from the Russia-Ukraine crisis, which led to elevated inflationary um, pressures and has resulted in both developed markets and emerging markets, uh, monetary policy tightening across board. Going into 2023, we believe that the investment environment will be just as challenging, especially in the first few months of 2023. This is because while the inflation environment should start to improve, for instance, across emerging markets, we expect headline inflation to basically half by the end of next year. But by the middle of next year, we still expect headline inflation to be you know, close to around where it is at the moment for emerging markets as a whole. Also, while in developed markets, we are all now expecting the Fed to hike a few more times and then stop hiking because inflation should have peaked in, in the U.S. and other developed markets. We expect that the global investment focus will shift from 
higher rates because of higher inflation to the risk of recession in the US. And that's why we think, you know, in the second half of next year, we should see that start to dominate in the investment outlook. That being said, I think for Africa specifically, the challenge will be the fact that while the Fed is expected to hike and pause hiking, at least in JP Morgan, we are not forecasting a swift decline in the policy rates of the you know, major central banks. And that's important for Africa because Africa is a net borrower um, in, the, in, the, in the global context. In terms of the economic outlook for sub-Saharan Africa, and then I'll speak on Nigeria specifically, we expect growth next year to be quite subdued in sub-Saharan Africa. And, and that's because you know, inflation is high, Sub-Saharan Africa imports most of its um, food, most of its finished goods are imported from the from the rest of the world. And so that has had an impact and we expect it to continue to have an impact um, next year. But also for those economies in Sub-Saharan Africa that do export, they would then start feeling pressure from the global recession, or at least the US recession that's expected in, in second half of 2023. So in summary, we think it's going to be a challenging investment climate still for emerging markets and by extension, Africa countries that, that we do cover. In terms of Nigeria specifically, so our economists are forecasting the growth in Nigeria of just below 3% for 2023. So that's still be, you know below what we would say is um, potential growth for Nigeria. And then a small pickup in 2024 to about 3.6%. Um, what are the drivers for, for this? We still expect that Nigeria will continue to implement policy that is continues to challenge the growth outlook. So it probably won't be conducive for investment professionals that we speak to invest in Nigeria, despite you know the fading of political risk that we expect in, in, in February, uh, after the February election. So, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the risks from 2022 are expected to continue to be felt in emerging markets and in African markets into 2023. Uh, there is a window of opportunity around the midpoint of 2023, but still we expect the U.S. recession risks to continue to dominate, and that will have an impact on growth in sub-Saharan Africa and in Nigeria. Okay, thank you so much for that response. So let me just piggyback on some of the comments you shared. The escalation of the Russia-Ukraine crisis has contributed to a rise in commodity prices. Um, the past three effect has resulted in steady upticks in headline inflation, as you did mention, across not just um, advanced economies, but also emerging economies. And like the advanced economies, central banks across sub-Saharan Africa have responded with policy rate hikes to combat um, rising inflation and to also slow down the pace of capital flight. How have these upticks in inflation and the subsequent rate hikes that we've seen changed the investment landscape for frontier markets, particularly those in Africa? Yeah, thanks, Jimo. Very good, very good question. I think the, the challenge faced this year by many frontier markets, both central banks, but also the investment thesis that you know, people like me try to try to put out to, to investors is that inflation has been broad braced across board, like you mentioned. So, you know, in the UK, inflation is about 10%. Um, in some more mainstream emerging markets, call it, you know, in Central Eastern European region, inflation is in the high teens. In Africa, inflation is, you know, on average in the high teens to low 20 
20% handle. So inflation has been broad-based. Most of the inflationary pr- pressure has come from supply side, um, like, like you mentioned in, in, in introductory remark, but also there's been some demand push inflation as well. And that has led policymakers in central banks to, to hike again across board. So we've seen significant hikes in the US, in the UK, in Brazil, in Hungary, in Czech, in Nigeria, Ghana, across board. We've seen um, significant hikes. The challenge then becomes which for an investor, which of these economies offer relative value in terms of the level of hikes that have been delivered already, so relative to each other, but also relative value in terms of who has done enough hiking in 2022. Now, the answer to that question is difficult to assess sitting here because really you want to know the answer, you know, six months, 12 months in a forward-looking manner. So the challenge now becomes for investors, for the same level of risk, slash same level of liquidity, because again, we are talking about investment assets in Africa relative to investment assets in, you know, the CE3 region or, or, or in Latin America, which country offers for the same amount of liquidity, which own country offers, you know, relatively appropriate risk premium? And the answer to that question as we can see by market performance, is that it's in countries where the central banks hiked early. So the central banks did not delay in their hiking cycle. The central banks have hiked almost a one-for-one with respect to headline or core inflation, depending on what the target is for, for that specific central bank. And also a central bank that has allowed the dollar strength that we've seen this year that's been broad-based to filter through to the exchange rate. And, you know, I'm sure you're going to ask me this question at some point in our conversation, Chinwe, on FX. But exchange rate is a significant um, variable to think about when you both think about inflation, but also you're thinking about um, central bank monetary policy reaction function. And as has been the case for the last almost a decade, many central banks in, in the African region still implement a, some variant of a fixed exchange rate uh, regime. And under the current environment, those are not the countries that investors are looking to invest in first. Doesn't mean that there will be no investment for you to be less than we've seen or less than investors are thinking about investing in in, in other countries that do not have that kind of setup. For Africa specifically, I'd say that you know Nigeria has hiked a lot, not as much as you know the change in inflation that we've seen. Ghana has hiked a lot. Kenya has, has hiked a lot. In Nigeria, in Africa specifically, I would say the focus is on countries where the hike has a strong transmission to the economy. So that's the second challenge. Many countries have very weak transmission of their policy rates to the economy. So people, investors then look at you know what type of tightening or squeezing are we seeing in credit growth, money supply growth, and, and those kinds of variables. In Nigeria's case, there's been there's still a continued rise in aggregate money supply. And I suspect that's because of fiscal dominance. So the central bank is monetizing a lot of fiscal activity uh, that's going on in, in the economy. So we are not seeing a proper tightening in monetary policy, monetary conditions. So bringing that all together, 
you know, what does it mean for the investment climate in, in Africa? I think investors will be looking at countries that have some credibility on monetary policy front. Um, countries in East Africa come to mind. Those who tend to hike when inflation moves higher have relatively more flexible exchange rate regimes and provide positive real rate at the end of this, this cycle. In West Africa, I think it's going to be a challenge to attract investors on the fixed income side, definitely. Maybe on the direct investment front, once the elections are are over, so we have elections in Nigeria, like I mentioned earlier, but even on the equity side, I think it would be a challenge. And that's because policy is still not quite clear in those economies, and we are still forecasting for Ghana for Nigeria, for instance, to have negative real rate by the end of 2023, even though inflation should have come down a bit and policy rate should be hiked slightly before then. Hmm. (laughs) Very insightful nuggets. I like that you mentioned the exchange rate because it is one indicator that has remained a front burner topic. And you are right. I am definitely bringing it up in this conversation, bringing it up right now. Uh, The current monetary policy tightening stance has led to tightening of global financial conditions in recent months and has intensified exchange rate pressure for a good number of um, countries across the sub-Saharan African region. Given different exchange rate regimes and limited external reserves in most of these countries, what strategies should investors adopt with regards to investments in these countries? And this really is from an FX perspective. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Jim. I think this is the big challenge in, in Africa. The central banks for years before COVID have always looked to intervene heavily in the exchange rate mechanism because you know, when you spend reserves to defend your currency, you had market access to go and replenish reserves because there was QE going on globally and rates were negative in in Germany, for instance. Now that's changing or that has changed, right? And I don't think that that's going to, we're going to go back to a negative yielding environment at the level that we've seen over the last 10 years for the next 10 years, right? So the Bank of England is announcing quantitative tightening, US, same thing, Germany, across Europe, same thing. So we would see more and more value in lower risk jurisdictions compared to Africa, as we're talking about um, Africa and Nigeria specifically. And that creates a challenge. That creates a challenge because it becomes a lot tougher for central banks to replenish their FX reserve. It becomes a lot tougher, I think, for central banks to accept the reality that they probably are not able to intervene in the exchange rate um, market as much as they, they, they've done in the past. So as an investor, what do you do? I think you have to monitor not only gross reserves closely, but you need to monitor net reserves closely. In the past, those two definitions of reserves have sometimes been used interchangeably. For example, in Nigeria, Nigeria doesn't publish a net reserves number. In other countries, Ghana, they do, but there's some questions about what's actually net in Ghana and what's not. So it's a topic that requires you know, some level of forensic analysis by, by investors. And I think the best way to look at it is you, you look at gross reserves, which is should be the same definition across board, and then do have an estimate for what the swap line, and by swap line, I mean the part of reserves where the central banks have borrowed 
from other financial institutions, both domestic or external, and have pledged local currency assets instead. In Nigeria, I estimate that that number is around 12 to $14 billion. So what you do is you take the gross number and you net off what the, what the, what the swap line is, and that gives you a clearer view of what reserve, you know, actual usable reserves in a stress environment. So at the moment, you know, swaps are used, but is the central bank going to be able to replenish those swaps and at what cost, given the extended period that they, they won't have market access? So I think that's the, the first criteria, gross versus net. Second criteria is the more used, widely used metric, which is you no know, month of import cover. The IMF has you know, different uh, thresholds for this, three to four months for non-resource exporters, you know, five to six months for, for resource exporters. The caveat I'll add is usually you look at imports of goods and services during a stress period. As we know, central banks can restrict the use of FX for services and just focus on, on imports. So that's one, one metric to, to look at. And then the final metric to look at is a government's external financing requirement as a share of FX reserves. And external financing requirements are, is defined as current account balance or deficit is the case in many Africa slash frontier market, your short-term amortization, i.e. You know, how much, if you have euro bonds in issuance, what, how much is coming due over the next one year. If you have private sector external debt that's coming due over the next one year as well, how much is all of that as a share of FX, FX reserve? So I think those are the, some of the key measures that investors should look at when investing across Africa especially in, in Nigeria, um, because FX is going to be a, a major challenge going forward. In terms of our specific forecasts, you know, it's at the best of times, it's difficult to, to forecast exchange rates for, for a pegged or semi-pegged currency, and it's, it's even more difficult um, now. But, you know, we have, we think the, the Naira needs to adjust. I'm, I'm not in the camp that thinks the it will be allowed to adjust to say the parallel market rate um, at the moment. I think you know it's some going to be somewhere between where we are now and there. By the end of next year, um, expectation on our side is that we are above 500 um, towards the third, fourth quarter of next year. In Ghana, we're expecting 16 at the end of next year as well. Okay, thanks. Thank you so much for that, IMD. Now let's touch on the international capital market. As a result of the monetary policy tightening, which we've been talking about um, in advanced economies, there are countries in Africa that have been effectively priced out of the international bond market. Now, from your vantage point, what key recommendations would you give these countries with regards to their fiscal policy responses in 2023? I think the the simple and short answer is many of these countries have to tighten their belts, right? So, you know, countries have fiscal balances, which in, in simple terms is expenditures minus revenue. Um, and then how do you fund this this gap? You fund it either via external sources, has been, like has been the case for the last 10 years for many, or domestic sources. Because like you mentioned, markets are now close to virtually all frontier African countries. So I'm leaving South Africa out of the equation for now. What that means is many countries then need to look at 
their domestic markets. Now, the challenge with the domestic markets is, uh, like I'm sure many of listeners are investors in, in domestic market, everyone is looking at you know, higher rates, higher inflation, and asking for higher yield. But that has an impact on borrowing costs to the government. So, you know, it's a choice between issuing domestic debt at significantly higher rates that would have an adverse impact on debt sustainability down the line, or tightening the belt, i.e. reducing spending in order to keep the balance smaller. But the worst approach is actually what has been the, the approach for the last year, year and a half. And that is monetize, monetizing fiscal deficits by central banks, right? So, and this, this concept has been in existence for a long time, especially in, in Africa, but it was widely accepted because of COVID. So, you know, in 2020, markets were short to a host of emerging market countries. And it was the market didn't really punish countries that were basically printing money to fund their government. I think the, the challenge that African policymakers faced was that after COVID, many of them didn't stop central bank printing of, of money to fund the fiscal positions, and they continued. And as a result, the market is now differentiating between countries where there's been a reversal of what was supposed to be a stopgap measure to you know, countries that have now continued using it as a way to fund themselves. I think as, as an investor, that's something that you, you want to be keeping an eye on and rewarding countries where there's been a shift towards you know, more prudent policy, a shift towards taking the opportunity to grow revenues. It's difficult to do, um, but that that has to be the, the, the solution compared to countries like Nigeria, um, where there's been an, an increase in central bank funding of, of domestic debt. And I think that has to be the, the way to go. You know, there's going to be a question of, can you get excellent financing support from you know, international financing institutions? You know, I think that's, uh, that's an open question. Hmm. Okay, very interesting. Now, moving on to a brighter note, I hope it's going to be a brighter note based on your response. Um, Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah. The Africa Continental Free Trade Area Agreement is perceived as one of Africa's growth recovery plans, right? Um, What role would the swift implementation of this AFCFTA agreement, as well as the adoption of structural reforms, play in reducing uh, SSA's vulnerability to external shocks? And how would this agreement attract investments into countries within the region? I think I asked you three questions in one. Mm, yes, <laughs> uh, that's, that's okay. And, and it, it is a, a bright note, at least in, you know, in the formulation of the AFCFTA and the potential. Right. So just to, to put some numbers out there, you know, these World Bank, IMF, even ourselves, we've done some, some work on this. And I think anywhere from 500 billion to a quarter of a trillion dollars is what is expected in, from the AFCTA to boost income in Africa by over the next 10, 15 years. So by 2020, 2035 to 2040, that's between a 7 to 10% gain in income relative to if the AFCTA, CFTA didn't exist, right? 
exports are meant to grow by between 600 billion to you know 700 billion most of that exports will be in, in manufacturing and you know, intermediate good value value addition there's supposed to be you know growth in wages of minimum of 10% if you are a skilled worker to you know, nine and a half percent if it, if it's on, on on skilled worker. So you no know, the benefits are clear to see that the gender benefits. I think you know female the female workforce is expected to benefit more in terms of larger wage gain than than male workforce. That's probably because at the moment there's still you know unfortunately an imbalance um, between Male and female um, wage, even in even you know in in Africa. So you know the, the benefits are there to see. Um, most of the income gains will be as a result of you know, reduced you know, call it bureaucracy, red tape. So if you if you take the if you take the numbers five hundred billion in income gain, I'll say about three hundred to three fifty is just by reducing red tape, simplifying customs, procedures, tariffs, uh, basically non-physical barriers to trade that exist um, within within the African region. I think the, the challenge is that unfortunately, because of COVID, there's been a shift in focus by investors who were very, very energized to try and explore the opportunities that they, that they could get from this agreement there's also been some fatigue with the implementation of the you know Africa free trade zone agreement um, but i do think that it is the way to go it's it's moving in the right direction it is going to result in african economies african economies manufacturing more earning more foreign exchange for themselves reduced you know reliability or reliance on funding from capital markets solely for budget purposes so it's going to be more productive uh, more productive funding as well and i think that's all that's positive then you you asked a question about structural reforms and how that might might play a vital role i think that's that's the age old challenge uh, and to be fair this is not just in in africa so from a point of view of looking at frontier economies more more closely i'll I'll say this is a problem that exists in almost every low middle income country it's difficult to get the the right leadership the right motivation i'll say the vision is is there to improve structurally you know so governance has to has to improve governance from both the private sector but also for public sector has to improve and monetary policy, you know, transport links, the whole works, electricity. Now there's a shift towards more sustainable types of electricity. All that should provide dividend to growth for sub-Saharan Africa. And I, I am a believer that it will provide growth. I think the challenge is COVID has existed. This is the end of 2022. This started in 2020. So this is the third year. And it doesn't look like we're, we're not going to mention the word COVID in 2023. And the I think about it is you know, it could be unfortunately two to five years of lost you know, focus on some of the structural initiatives that were being implemented pre-COVID because many countries have had to focus on just ensuring there's food for their population, ensuring there's no social unrest um, for population. So I think 
for now, the, at least the stopgap measures will be more support from the likes of IMF, World Bank. Um, IMF has something called the food shock window. You know, so there are a lot of support windows that multilaterals would, could provide. Um, it's not going to be enough, but it's going to be something that would help that will help African countries to get over the next couple of years. And then post that, I think the focus then goes back to the structural issues that that needs to be solved. Mm, thank you so much for that. You know what? I think 2023 will be an interesting year with regards to the macroeconomic environment, uh, mixed views with some of the core economic indicators and to a large extent, status quo will be maintained with uh, trends for select indicators. Hopefully there is also a visible boost to investment confidence. Thank you so much for accepting our invitation to share from your extensive bank of knowledge, very insightful contributions. I completely enjoyed our conversation, Ayomi Day. Thank you very much, Shinwe. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Be sure to look out for the next episode. In the meantime, reflect on the insightful nuggets you received. You can listen by visiting www.coronationmb.com or on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, CastBox, Spreaker, and Player FM. Mm-hmm.